You're listening to Teatro Mundi Live. I'm Andrea Cedrulo, program curator at Teatro Mundi, and this is the fourth and final episode of Incantations. In this occasion, I'm joined by artists Mercedes Aspilicueta, Maria Sideri, and Angeliki Tsorzakaki, who discuss their project Priestesses of Disgrace, which interrogates through sound how female voices are perceived in public spaces in a syncretic city like Athens. We also discuss the perception of women's bodies as simultaneously sinful and healing across different cultural contexts, and how ritualistic possession can embody a resistance to oppressive hierarchical structures. Our guests also share their own personal rituals for creating moods and generate attunement with the cities they live in. So, hello, Maria, Angeliki, Mercedes. Thank you for joining me today for the last episode of our Incantations podcast series. Um, I'd like to start this conversation by saying that it was actually through our previous discussion, uh, like three, four months ago, I, I can't tell right now, but with, with John, with John Bingham Hall, the Mundi's director, about your project, uh, Priestesses of Disgrace, that is part of the wider project, The City Talks Back, with the Onassis Foundation. So it's this idea of creating a, a podcast series around the notion of magic, ritual, and mysticism um, that sparked from that very conversation and that we couldn't fully explore back then. And I thought I would invite you back to talk further about Priestess of Disgrace, but also other, you know, um, kind of interest of your own around this theme of magic, uh, of ritual, of spells, and sort of expand that notion and bring back the project at the same time. So there's this theme that I was I was talking before with you guys um, that is kind of underexplored or ignoring discourses of cities and everyday life interactions, or even often I would say relegated to circles of philosophy, metaphysics that seem kind of detached somehow from our very uh, existence, our daily existence. So much of the of the talk surrounding life forms and practices is focused on material aspects, right? Like, you know, be it po politics or really just thinking of the way we we live, move our bodies. A lot of it is, even if it's right wing, left wing, it doesn't really matter, but it's a lot of the time focused on material aspects. Uh, not to say that magic can't be material, it can't be materialized, But what I mean is a stark materialism, referring to capitalism in very broad terms without really knowing or exploring what that actually means and how people how people live. So I think a lot of your, your work is actually capturing that missing part that is the more central and known potential inscribed in the um, city, the fabric of the city. So be it architecture or in the case of Priests of Disgrace, the, the Auro, shall we call it. So I'll leave the three of you to introduce yourselves briefly and maybe talk about Priestess of Disgrace, how it came about, uh, what the methodology and content of it all is. So shall we start with Mercedes, because you're on my screen. Um, thank you, Andrea, for the introduction and for the invitation. Uh, my name is uh, Mercedes Aspilicueta. I'm a visual artist and a performer Based in Amsterdam, uh, grew up in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, and I work uh, around the notions um, 
of affects and language, but also the colonial feminism and resistance as well. Um, I like collaborating as much as I can, and this is the case with uh, Ageliki and Maria and um, the City Talks Back, which has been uh, it's been a fantastic project since uh, a year and a half, I, I guess. And we will tell you more about it. But yeah, that's a very short introduction. Angeliki. Uh, hello. Hi. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for the invitation. Um, and thank you, Mercedes, for the introduction. My name is Angeliki Turzakaki. I'm um, a curator mainly and writer. I'm also based in Amsterdam um, and Italy sometimes. But I grew up in uh, Crete and I lived for a long time in Athens where most of the project uh, Priestesses of Disgrace took place. Um, yeah, and my research is mainly focused on uh, economies of knowledge production from a feminist perspective. I also have a background in economics, so I tend to work around, a lot around labor and care labor from this uh, lens and self-organization, let's say, from the same perspective. Thank you. And Maria? Hello, Andrea, and uh, mm -hmm. thank you very much for the invitation and the introduction of Mercedes and Angeliki. My name is Maria Sideri. I'm based in Athens. Uh, I am a, an artist that works with voice, sound, and performance. And I'm also doing my PhD in uh, feminist archival practices in the performance archive. I'm looking a lot through my work at the um, notions of uh, the body in possession, uh, the body um, embodiment in ethnography as well, and the uh, representation of uh, feminist artists in the, in the performance archive. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for, for inviting us here. And, starting this uh, conversation on uh, incantations. Yeah, well, I think we can start actually from there. You can start telling me maybe what your idea, notion of um, an incantation would entail. What, what is that in your everyday life or what have you been exploring or found out through your own research? Um, Maria, would you like to start? I know you've been, last time we spoke, you gave me a few examples about this, uh, I think it was 70s Malaysian woman working in electronic uh, factories who organized a collective sort of possession and where they were being possessed by evil spirits, uh, quite theatrical. And this reminded me of, of several films as well. Um, I guess amongst them, the latest one would probably be, I don't know if you've seen it, Atlantics. It's this film that came out recently um, in Dakar. So yeah, I think you could you could tell us a little bit more, Maria, about those interests and findings. Oh, yeah, absolutely, with pleasure. So I uh, I kind of started um, um, writing as a provocation to this idea of incantation, uh, also like after a conversation with Mercedes and Angeliki, and um, I I was very interested in the subject already because of my studies in anthropology. So. Um, Looking at cantation as a as a spell, yeah, a charm or an enchantment, uh, 
like incantation like involves somehow the use of language yeah and there is a kind of uh, very important book in anthropology of uh, uh, Bronislaw Malinowski who was an anthropologist that worked mainly in the region of uh, of uh, New Guinea in the Trobriand Islands so I I was very interested to go back to read some extracts of his uh, book called uh, Coral Gardens and Their Magic, a study of the methods of tiling the soil and of agricultural rights in the Trobriand Islands. So it's very beautiful how Malinowski actually describes uh, magical language as a, as a language that is um, somehow set and used for an entirely different purpose than uh, ordinary life. And um, he describes this very beautiful like uh, spell of uh, of a magician of the Trobrian Islands and the way he's using like language um, in order to actually put some spells on certain objects. Um, so the preparation for this ritual is actually uh, very meticulous. So he he prepares the voice and um, he creates this voice trap somehow. So a trap that would um, through the words would allow the voice to be caught and imprisoned between the objects. And during the recitation, the, the magician, yeah, he holds his head close to the, to the object so that the, the, the portion of the herbs that he's using also for the ritual are, uh, are, are remain not affected from the, from the breath. So the way he prepares in order to repeat the words over and over again by rubbing this, uh, mm -hmm. these herbs and, and touching these objects is, um, uh, is based on a, on, a, on a very particular like um, rit ritualistic manner of treating uh, language. And he concludes his description saying that um, there is a belief that the magic is in the breath and that the breath is the magic. So what attracted me from this extract is that um, I thought of incantation as a way of um, um, the care and the me how meticulously we place words and associate them with objects and with processes that they are social, that demand like that that invite people actually to to come together. Yeah, so. Incantation also for me, it's something that is very closely related to invocation. And I think this is where our project with Mercedes and Angeliki on, uh, uh, on the Priestess of Disgrace, You Bring Joy Into My Life, uh, comes into uh, connection with these ideas of incantation and invocation. So both these notions of incantation and invocation, they they contain the intention of of an invitation. Yes, yeah? so there is you you invite through your through your through spells or through wording or through this um, very meticulously placed um, uh, language. You you invite you make space for something else to come to be there to be visible or invisible, and. I really like to think of of these notions outside of their religious like frame, in the sense that um, 
uh, as you said in the in your introduction, Andrea, magic can be materialistic. Yes, yeah? so there is something about um, using these methodologies as 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 mechanism or as an hermeneutic um, through the arts and and displacing them or or misplacing them out of a very strict religious and ritualistic uh, context and 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 using them with more liberty uh, so maybe i'll stop here so that uh, and then we can continue through the the rest of our conversation but i think it's a good point for uh, mercedes angelki to maybe to add to it it is great that you brought this up. Thank you, Maria, because it is actually what came up in previous conversations with Chiara Ambrosio and uh, Federico Campagna. One of the things is that incantations, I think it was Chiara who mentioned this, is a reference to how you can make a space where alternative narratives can emerge through these presences um, as an invocation, as an invitation, as you said, but that they're not actually. Um, narratives, alternative narratives, as we think of them in a more sort of conventional sense of them being, you know, from an ethnic group or from a gender specific, but more, more of a real way of approaching life and of opening different systems and potentials that are probably not the ones that intuitively we inhabit every day. So it is opening up these spaces um, through incantation. And of course, an interesting theme, another point from what you were saying, is the logos, which is, of course, very important in different ways in which you can, you know, put the emphasis on. But there's also the what exceeds the logos, the ineffable, what we were saying previously before we started recording, that are all these aspects, phenomenological aspects that exceed language, where it's transformed into something else beyond the meaning, beyond those kind of like more... Uh, structure this perhaps in academia understandings of, of life and uh, what the potential of language so yeah through through priestesses you, you do that quite a lot it is not centering on the words themselves and their meanings and those kind of categories but exceeding them so maybe here's where yeah Mercedes and Angeliki can expand I think that uh, the three of us were driven into the streets of Athens and looking into exactly what, what uh, which were those places where we could connect um, in a different way, um, where language could be more lyrical and would have, yeah, um, would kind of resonate uh, in a different uh, in a different way in our bodies. Um, and we ended up in markets, and uh, Ageliki did a fantastic, um, yeah, she collected all kinds of uh, soundscapes in these type of markets. And um, I think that uh, it was, it is the way we have been working, it's kind of very slow. It's the first, uh, yeah, it's uh, some work we do on site, uh, collecting material, then there is, a bit of a, a laboratory moment where when we dissect all those soundscapes and we look for uh, maybe the ineffable, what you were mentioning before, and not necessarily trying to uh, portray uh, or convey a particular story because it's 
in the market or connected to a particular narrative that it's happening at that moment, but something that we can uh, distill, if that, if that's the word, um, from um, all these different sonic elements. And um, we did, we had an experience, we did a performance uh, last year. Uh, we wrote a script and voiced it and read it, um, combined it with clips from these different um, uh, streets and, and public spaces we, we spent some time. Um, and at the moment we are uh, working on a second chapter of that experience, um, hopefully to be um, played in, a, in, in, in Athens broadcasted from Athens. But I think that uh, I just wanted to add to what Maria was saying uh, on a personal level. And as I said, growing, growing up in Argentina, Buenos Aires, where cities are uh, much more uh, noise. Yeah, there is a lot of noise and there is a lot of um, sounds that kind of enter into your daily life, whether you like it or not. And uh, my first years living in the Netherlands, the only places where I could uh, go back to that type of um, uh, messy and, and sonic environment were those public markets. So, and uh, that was, um, I was, yeah, I was living in Rotterdam, for example, and visiting the Afrikaans market in uh, uh, Rotterdam South, uh, which is a particular area in the south of the city. And uh, it was almost like, um, to me, uh, as, as an artist uh, mingling through those streets, it was almost like, a, yeah, uh, a religious experience in a way, to be part of that chants that are constantly being uh, voiced and, and, and that they have certain melodies. And there is, uh, it's a total mix of different cultures and, and backgrounds and, different languages, uh, it's, yeah, it's Dutch, but it's not Dutch at the same time. It's combined with other, other languages. And um, so for, yeah, that was already back in 2015, 14, 15, but um, since then I've been kind of driven into these um, sonic spaces within the cities that they kind of inject some um, vibrant, um, uh, yeah, uh, substance from the, from, I don't even, yeah, it's very difficult to put it in words, but that they kind of take, take over me to a certain extent. And, um, and I think, uh, Athens, it has that particular, that's the, this type of identity as a city that the, that the streets kind of uh, speak for themselves and are uh, enchanted to a certain extent. And uh, it's been, a, yeah, it's been a very inspiring uh, trip um, on, a, on a symbolic level, like to, to go into, into this type of uh, mental, but also uh, physical space. Angelique, I remember you mentioning in relation to the the process that Mercedes was just describing of recording the conversations and why you chose to capture those specific spaces. 
uh, I remember you saying the process was sort of intuitive rather than thought through like rationally or in, or in a more sort of I'll pick this place for you know these qualities but you felt the process methodology was through your body through your own intuition and knowledge that you have of those places so maybe you can tell us more about that methodology and kind of what you were looking for right so thank you for the question um so indeed it was very intuitive uh even though i have to say i had a map at the beginning so because i knew the city very well i lived there for six seven years when i was studying and also through very turbulent moments where even the soundscape was escalated let's say um but indeed when i actually uh, went there after mercedes invitation to to join her in the residency by tatra mundi um which was also very exciting i um yeah i started working maybe at the places where initially planned and then um the, you know when you when you stroll around the city you're kind of uh called by something or something cuts your attention or maybe a conversation and then i just ended up also going like all the way to a different direction uh was which also relates a bit to what uh, maria said at the beginning this invocation to something so i was a bit dragged by something else but uh, what was definitely um let's say something that uh, i stuck to the plan from the very beginning was uh, one of the main and all the squares of athens which is called omonia square uh, which is all the round square where all the highways meet let's say um and this is definitely where i spent most of the part and this is also uh, brings me to talk about the title of the project um which I think maybe at the first cut, you don't uh, necessarily get the link to the city uh, or to the project. So the title comes from this um, wall uh, graffiti that I encountered um, somewhere near that square, um, which actually said that um, we as uh, trans, uh, lesbian, uh, queer women are uh, proudly uh, the shame of so we as priestesses of disgrace are proudly the shame of the nation so going against this nationalistic uh, whitewashed uh, greek identity uh, that came after the formation of the greek state uh, and more to a, a more um, a mestizo identity that <laughs> mercedes also can explain more about it um, of the mediterranean culture in general um so yeah that's where the title comes from and then i found out uh, actually um, not long ago that this is the name priestesses of disgrace uh, in greek is the name of the queer activist group that advocates for justice for the um, uh, brutal assassination of uh, queer artists and activists like you so i think this also blends uh together to what we have been talking about that you also mentioned andrea before of this making space for something so it's i think it's interesting how the recording and the whole project is working also in a way of collecting sound but at the same time making space for for more voices or for amplifying the voices and creating this sort of spell of repeating 
So in terms of thinking of the syncretism or of the alternative narratives or subaltern narratives, however we want to call them, um, how would you say that these women appropriate the city and what places, the place they inhabit and navigate the infrastructure, architecture or, you know, social interactions in everyday life? Yeah, maybe I can I can connect the answer with what Mercedes uh, said earlier, which I think it's very important. Like when I was brought into the project, um, uh, Mercedes and Angeliki have done already uh, the residency, and Angeliki has uh, 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 gathered and uh, archived all the recordings. So I went through the recordings, and I had this kind of double experience of listening. Right, so I was. I was listening to what Angeliki has heard here, and then I was also listening in relation to what is being silenced, silenced in my everyday listening of the city. Uh, so one of the questions we have um, we have asked uh, and uh, that came um, to the surface after our conversation with John as well um, was uh, who is silenced. Uh, uh, who is silenced when another voice takes the stage and and what happens when we speak somebody else's words or how do we invite others to make part of um, to, to give them voice somehow um, and that these three questions were also like gathered under a bigger umbrella that was like how do we treat words and language and its emotional affect in solidarity with others. So um, that is where, for me, the question of invocation comes in, because uh, in a symbolic level, like women's bodies in rituals are usually appear as dangerous, as dirty, as um, uh, prohibited. And then at the same time, it's their bodies that act as healers most of the times. So in, in a lot of rituals that you can find from like, um, uh, that demand invocation as part of the of a ritualistic possession, yeah? So you, uh, whether it's in Brazil with the candomblé or it's in the shamanic practices in Central Asia or the, there is something that, um, that happens where you have a certain representation of the world through, um, uh, through uh, the practice of invocation. So what I want to say is that invocation is a porous and like permeable con conception. Yeah, it's like it's something that breathes, as we said before. It's something that allows to breathe, and and allows human or non-human agency to to appear. And my question was, are we bodies? that in the city, you know, are we, are we listening to these other bodies without will to understand and to listen? And um, are, we, um, are we offering a, a possibility through invocation for these uh, bodies to be present through a sonic experience? Are we giving them visibility uh, by how are we giving them visibility and agency? And I was also thinking, and maybe I'm I'm going too far now, and I have to stop. But are we are we possessed ourselves by the spirit of the capital all the time? 
and how do we distinguish you know how do we how do we put ourselves in and out of this um frame uh, of capitalism as as women you know and and in cities and and knowing that things are constantly shaping and reshaping and omitted and silenced it is true that we are kind of possessed i think to a certain extent and um, we have learned not only to ignore them but not to pay attention necessarily and to understand where they're coming from and the healing power exactly what you're saying the therapeutic power of solidarity that is not necessarily organized politically or doesn't look like um i don't know something probably you can label but it's definitely there the care um yeah that infrastructure that is much more subtle and invisible yes so the one concrete example of what we are discussing right now is this example of the of uh, malaysian workers in a factory of electronics in malaysia uh, it's based on a on a very detailed ethnographic uh, research uh, done by mary keller that has written this book um, the hammer and the flute so she's actually describing how um, in different factories of electronics in malaysia women have organized it, organized a sort of ritualistic revolt against their their rights as women inside the factory so they have created like um, continuous episodes of uh, possess of possession uh, that started uh, with them being uh, uh, starting screaming in the beginning uh, one by one and then you had a group of 20 women that they were uh, fainting and then the, the the responsible the manager of the factory would arrive and would try to understand the what is going on and the factory we had eventually to shut down because these women were claiming that the whole factory was taking over from a, a demonic spirit and there has to be a cleansing um, of, of the whole factory and they had to invite a priest in order to do a sacrifice so that their work can start again. So I found, I found this example extremely um, like amazing in terms of how these women have used their previous um, uh, embodied experience of of communal life and of um and of resistance yeah and their womanhood in terms of solidarity for them to revendicate their rights as workers so there is a completely change of paradigm and of model in terms of how one can use what examples we have there from from more oral and uh, rural areas and in relation to also what we are discussing now. Yeah. Um, in relation to to this theme of spells, I think, Rengaliki, you had some, some thoughts around Yes, this. definitely. Um, I mean, the, the Greek um, daily language has a lot of uh, expressions also. Um, that we use uh, for different reasons, let's say, but the ones I was uh, most interested in were the ones that we use uh, to protect, let's say, each other. So I don't, I'm not necessarily convinced that this takes place only in Greece because I more and more find out of 
common expressions and, and gestures and ways of doing with other neighbor countries, for instance, or other other populations that have lived in Greece or, or, or shared, uh, let's say, the land. Um, but we definitely have a lot of expressions used to um, uh, kick out the evil eye from each other, uh, either by spitting on each other, either by verbalizing the spit. So saying, I'm going to spit on you now. Sometimes we don't do it. <laughs> Luckily, we stop doing it. Um, in order for you not to catch it. So I think, yeah, it's something that I was uh, really interested, especially when I started walking around again in the markets, you know, when I was doing the recordings, uh, because I'm also not so much in touch maybe with this uh, aspect of the Greek language anymore, because I also don't use it in my daily life, or I don't meet necessarily my family, which lives in a rural area of Greece, so uses a lot of these expressions. So when I went back to the market and I tried to listen, let's say, a bit more attentively to this uh, woman speaking, this part of the language is very much present there, which maybe you will not encounter in my generation, let's say, women of my generation meeting in the university or, or having coffee or, or going for drinks or whatever is allowed anymore. So I think this is also one part of the language that has the spell function, but it's also disappearing more and more. Most of the spells, quote unquote spells, that we we encounter in the city, in such a city, are the wall um, writings. I don't know how you call them, um, like expressions written on the wall or, or a call for a protest. Or, um, and Athens is extremely full of those. So for instance, um, maybe what Mercedes was saying before about the Netherlands is that all the walls are empty. Or there is nothing on the wall. So it's not only the things that you hear or that you listen, it's also the things that you see, like or verbal uh, expressions of the of the consciousness, let's say, of the, um, of the population that you don't necessarily hear, but they are so loud when you encounter in this space. No, I just wanted to comment on two different things that uh, Mariana Galicki mentioned, which is uh, the idea of revolting when Maria was uh, telling about the, uh, this factory event, but also uh, Ageliki mentioning the idea of, uh, of protests in the streets. And, and I think something that also links our experience in Athens, but also uh, in Buenos Aires and Montevideo is how the streets are taken by, by people. And, a lot in Latin America, but I mean, it's been also happening in Athens, is women um, marching and protesting for all kinds of, uh, um, or claiming for rights uh, over their own reproductive system or, yeah, um, labor rights, etc. And I think that that's something that... Uh, where certain incantation also occurs. And, and that's from my own personal experience of being part uh, of these type of marches. Um, the one in, in June in 2016, where like thousands of people are walking in the streets of Buenos Aires, mainly women of different generations, children, 
Yes, on what uh, Mercedes just said, I remember the... I, I mean, I'm trying to go to different demonstrations here in Athens that happen every every week. There is plenty of them uh, anyhow. But uh, I go usually in the demonstration and I look for this particular group which are... I think they're kind of new. They're called the estrogones, so the estrogens. And the... Uh, uh, they are really amazing because uh, they bring something very different to every demonstration. It's a group of women that they have um, actually taken over all the, um, uh, how to say, the, um, uh, you know, what you, what you shout at during, during a demonstration, uh, but the most common kind of sayings, and they have uh, rhythmed, it and created a dance around them. So they really make a sort of performance in every demonstration. And what I find really amazing with them is that actually it's a group um, that was not so present in that way before, I think. And maybe I'm wrong because I'm also new to Athens, but it's a new element of, um, um, it's a voice I think that has been silenced and somehow now it's part of the public space and, uh, and they are very regular in terms of um, when they appear, like they were in the demonstration against the, on the day against racism and fascism, they were there. Uh, they were there, in the, of course, on, on Women's Day. They were there for the, uh, for the Day of the Environment. They were there. So there is, there is a presence uh, that, that is regular, and it's also like a little bit of what we are discussing right now in terms of what has been silenced and now it's like it's back on the public sphere it's there it's present it's um, it's visible and to close more or less um i would like to ask you a bit more of a personal question almost to, to share with our audiences and that would be what are what are your rituals incantations or spells that you use to kind of disconnect or connect to you know your environment and to see things from a different perspective and to kind of unlock the potential of magic or of the unknown things that kind of you know step out of the frame of reality conceived in the way that we know it um, or that is imposed somehow upon us in our everyday rhythms. Uh, all right, I can I can mention something. Um, I have a strong connection with the Ruda plant, which I don't know, Andrea, if you probably. Yeah, Ruda, see, my grandma used to give me some when yeah. I had some problems. So that's something that I imported or brought with me when I moved uh, here. Uh, in the Netherlands and then uh, as as much as I can when I know there is a Ruda plant somewhere in the city there I know there is a Ruda plant in a particular street here in Amsterdam on a outside of a house and I know that it's better if you steal a bit of it rather than yeah so then there is always some little uh, mission going at night and having uh, having some leaves and also it depends on the seasons because some winters are like 
heavier and then the plant doesn't you know regenerate or so it depends but then i i try to yeah there is there is a small ritual that i do with it and it means uh it's a cleansing ritual and yeah i do it in my own house but in the studio and also to exhibitions and artworks and so <laughs> oh that sounds i want to try now mercedes that sounds very that sounds amazing what you're doing. I'm jealous somehow. Um, I don't have a particular connection to something that is part of the of my culture, let's say, but I do like to meditate and do automatic writing. So this is something that actually works for me as a sort of like re as a regenerative like way of like writing my thoughts and um, sometimes I improvise with music as well. So music is definitely a big healer. It's either like listening to it or like playing it. So, um, but I think, yeah, as a ritual, mostly is like spending this time to meditate and then like opening this book and then writing thoughts that just come and um, somehow collecting and yeah, I go back to them and reread them, which I always think is not a great idea. But um, <laughs> but yeah, this writing is definitely a part of and and meditating not necessarily with music, but just meditating with um, um, with silence. So trying mostly to you know to to empty instead of getting more um, more impulse and more uh, you know more information so for me it's mostly about like taking away the references and trying to you know trying to work from 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 less less uh, symbols to um to find something <laughs> i i have a few things i mean uh, they're not necessarily uh, yeah rituals in the in the strict let's say term um well, speaking of plants, uh, what I started doing recently uh, is I realized how much I get um, obsessed with the smell of sage. Um, yeah, so at the beginning, I just thought that I'd, I just like to eat it or, you know, put it in a fresh uh, pasta <laughs> and butter. But um, a friend of mine has her own uh, garden, so she sent me actually a box of uh, oils and creams. Also, Mercedes has, has some. Um, and she sent me also this little uh, bucket of uh, dry sage uh, because it was a bit of a stressful period a few months ago. So she asked me to burn it to, to clean, let's say, the, the house. And then, the, yeah, then I, I found out that uh, it actually really works and also as somehow a response to the to my friend's letter because she sent it to me for this reason so I kind of you know got in contact with her by, by burning the sage but then one day uh, a friend of mine walked in and there was a smell of burnt sage in the, in the entire house and she's from Palestine so she said oh my grandmother used to do that as well so there was also like these connections of through this subtle not so subtle but smell in the house 